You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Hello, hello. How's it going? I'm all right, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm going to be driving while we're talking. Well, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. It's- yeah. I've, I've never talked while driving before, but I've heard, I've heard it works out. Well, that's how everybody does their videos these days, right? <clears throat> you know what I mean? Like everybody, they're not driving. They just sit in the front seat as if like, that's a cool place to do a video. I don't get it. Oh, you must have been watching my series. You do the videos that you do the car thing? Oh, yeah. I have like 120 of them. Really? People love them. Are you driving while you do it? Yep. Wow. Wait, wait, why would you wait? Wait, wait. What's the other option? Are people, do you think people are faking dri- <laughs> driving? No, no, no. I think people because are literally, a, no, no. I think people are just sitting in their video. car. People just sit there in their car. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, I think I mean, is, it, that's weirder. Like drive the car. <laughs> well, I, the, the basis of, I understand that you're older, but um, ah. the basis of it is that <laughs> they're trying, I think there's a, there's a movement away from an older generation that sort of bottles up their feelings. And if they do talk about them, it's in a very controlled, uh, formal, prepared manner, right? And so this, this kind of younger movement that's doing a lot of videos is like when it's raw, when you feel it, just dump it all out in its, you know, purest form, which is right when you're having it. And so it's it's like someone has an experience in a store, they get back in their car, they're like, oh, I got to record this right now. So they're in their car. And it's definitely safer to make a video while you're parked than it is like I am to drive right now. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm a rebel. I live on the edge. I'm making TikToks while driving. Stop me. Stop me. Let's, let's go. See it. Let's see you try. Just try and stop him. Yeah. No chance. Can no I just chance. say, I mean, we don't have to get into anything just yet. I'm just thinking. Everything I've ever learned in my life is that when you when you just got heated and you just got like you just had the experience, don't sit down and make a video. That's the worst time to do it you know, you're going to say something stupid when that happens. Like that's the moment that you're going to say the wrong thing. Mm, Yeah. Well, I'll agree to disagree. Yeah. You think it's time you let it out. Just go. I mean, it depends on what you're going for, right? Like, yeah. If you're giving a sermon or you're like uh, a speech or uh, you want, you know, someone to buy your product, you definitely want to kind of polish that up a bit. But I don't think people who are doing these like uh, reaction videos are shooting for impact. They're shooting for like real. And that's kind of what's been missing from culture and media for a long time is the act like the raw, real emotion that's like gritty and dirty without makeup and um, production value and, and 
eloquent words, you know, it's just kind of, this is what it is. I've got a friend who's, um, she's in her, she must be in her early thirties now, but her husband committed suicide uh, last year and she does these videos and it's just, you know, her in the moment, whatever she's feeling. And they're beautiful because they are a hundred percent her and they're, you know, they're rambling and there's moments when you're kind of like, oh, this is hard to watch, but it's appealing in a way because of how, how genuine it is, how real it is. And I think there's a world, there's a, there's a whole generation that's hungry for that because of, you know, kind of the overproduced, put on a show, wear a business suit everywhere kind of culture. And it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just how, how kind of things maneuver. That's where I just was actually, I was in a, a meeting with my marketing team about how do we represent the church in a way that is serving our core demographic, which is mostly elderly, but also appealing to kind of a more modern uh, sensibility, like you said, that has more, they, they want to come casual. They want to feel like the pastor's engaging, but also teaching, right? And um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So it's, I don't know, I think there's, there's something definitely to it to um, draw people in and you just pick different styles. Look at TikTok. TikTok's got a billion, a billion users and it's 15 second videos. You don't, you can't do too much to prep for that. No, for sure. And I'm not even, but my, my whole thing was not prepping for something. My problem was, it was just, what was it? I think it was Mike Birbiglia's podcast. I heard it the other day where he was, um, I think he was interviewing Brie Larson and she said there was a time where she wished that she had said something. There was something that happened. Someone did something, hurt someone, something she wanted to respond she didn't respond in the moment. And then when she was doing a scene once when she was acting, she got to like, it was like sort of that situation. She felt like, okay, now I'm going to get to say what I wished I had always said. And she did it. And she was like, oh God, that felt horrible. I so glad I never said that when the time was, you know, when it was first happening and something like, that's my thing. I'm saying like, aren't you afraid you're going to say something that you'll regret. Not that you have to be prepared, not that you have to have makeup on, but like there's definitely a Seinfeld about saying exactly what's on your mind and then going, mm, I don't know if that was the best idea. Yeah, but have you seen the internet? Uh, th- I've heard of it. It's a thing. I mean, people do not have critical decision-making skills as far as what gets posted or not. I feel like everyone uses it as a personal diary where there's just a brain dump. I think things. there's an, I think but, there's an Ia at no, the end of that word. Do you know what I mean by that? A personal diarrhea is what you meant to say. It's really bad. Go ahead. Uh, but it, you know, they just dump it all with no, no, no critical decision that this is being published for all the world to view for all of time. So that I don't think people care. I don't think they have a sense that what they're putting up needs to be, I think it's just going up. I, I don't think that's not something that's in the vernacular for a lot of folks who are putting things Is that? Up. But that's what I'm saying. Is it a good thing? I don't know if it's a good thing. I think it sounds pretty bad. Um, Maybe I'm just I mean, not getting a, it. It's a very, it's a very bi- binary way to look at it. Like, is it good or bad is just, um, I, I think it's a poor assessment of something that is, you know, emotional or real or beautiful, right? It's, you can't say, you can't, I, I wouldn't say it could Good or bad is just a bad way to qualify it. I guess it's, um, I mean, it is what it is, and uh, it's all up to whoever put it out there, you know. And, and again, they, they don't have goals or intentions or consequences in mind. It's just putting it out there. So, 
Mission accomplished. <laughs> I guess if you want to get it up there. If you shoot for nothing, you'll always get there. Oh, no doubt. It's the opposite of shoot for the stars. Is that what it is? You know what? I hate that phrase because listen no, to but <laughs> They say shoot, shoot for the moon. No, what do they say? Shoot for shoot the, the stars because you'll get to the moon or something like that. Shoot for the stars because if you miss, you'll you shoot for the moon because if you miss, you'll make it to the stars. If your stars are billions of light years away from the moon, if you're shooting that hard to hit the moon, you're going to die on impact. That's true. That's or true. Or if you're if you're shooting with the with the with the force to only get to the moon, the the whole thing is false and impossible because you'll never make it past the gravitational pull that the moon has to get two stars that are that many light years away. And you say that I'm overthinking this thing, huh? And, you're, and look at where you are right now. You are way into it, man. You are yeah, not mine, feeling it. Mine's comical. Yours is like a real life. <laughs> real- <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on a second. If you want to laugh at an old man, that was comical. I did, I did my job. Don't get me wrong. I'm out of touch. <laughs> I didn't know you were improving the old man. I, 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 uh, I'm just, it's not an improv, buddy. It's just me. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. Hemorrhoids are on the horizon for you. Woo! Listen, buddy, there is not a horizon and they're already here. So, hey, um, this is what I actually wanted to talk about today. You ready to have to get into it a little bit? Go ahead. <laughs> I was waiting for a response. I'm sitting there going, did he just hit something? Is he dead? You know, like never, uh, there was a great uh, John Mulaney. No, I just when when someone when someone says this is this is what I want to talk about. I don't know how to respond other than waiting to hear what you're going to talk about. So let's go talk about. It. So it was like that. I don't know if you remember that John Mulaney bit where he said, "When the phone went dead a year like back in the old days, you they they thought you were murdered." Like the phone dropped. They were like, he's dead. Anyway, so, so I was, anyway, so here's the deal. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were reading uh, in the weekly Torah portion that we have, and we hit this part that I've, I've read it a bunch of times. It's in Parshat, what's called Balak. Um, and the story goes that um, one of the characters, Bilam, who's like this, I don't know what to call him. He's not Jewish, but he's a sorcerer of, of sorts, something like that. I mean, Balaam. That's the one. That's the one. We, could, we, we have a little more B in the front than the Lam at the end. So, the, so he, right, while he's riding on this donkey, right, he's trying to go where he needs to go. Uh, the angel of God stands in front of the donkey, right? And while the angel of God is in front of the donkey, the donkey sees the angel, and tries to veer off to the side and be and Billum. I don't know how you say it. He doesn't see the donkey. I mean, he doesn't see the, he doesn't see the angel and he gets really mad at the donkey. He starts beating the donkey with a stick. And then after a while of beating the donkey, which sounds horrible when I say it like that, he, all of a sudden God opens his eyes. He sees that the angels in front of him, he gets down, he bows, blah, 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 blah. There are many problems. Oh, sorry. I left out the part where the donkey talked to him and said, yeah, why are you beating me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, and the best part about that part where the donkey says, why are you beating me? Haven't I always been a good donkey? Is that he just goes, that's a good point. Like he doesn't go, 
what the, a talking donkey? Like he doesn't get at all excited. He just goes, fair point. You made a fair point, donkey. You, I, you have been a good donkey for up until now. Um, it's not like he had ever seen Shrek at that point. So, but here, what I, what I thought of this time was not the fact that the donkey's talking, not the fact that he didn't really, you know, he wasn't surprised. All the things I normally think of. I, I had this moment where I was like, wow. I feel like there are times that we're all like Bilam, like that we all have these moments in our lives where we can't see God and we can't connect with God, where there are other times in our lives where we're like more like the donkey and we see God and we feel connected with God. And, and I just, you know, there, I just don't know. Do you ever have, do you feel that way in your own experience? Do you have times where it ebbs and flows like that? Well, we have different interpretations of that verse for sure. My, mine is, it really justifies me being allowed to preach because if God can speak through the mouth of an ass, he can certainly use me to preach. Nice. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is somebody supposed to be the ass in this scenario? I just to quote uh, when Harry met Sally. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah, his reluctance, Blom's reluctance uh, is kind of all of us, right? Like we have a, a sense that, God does things in certain times for an hour on a Sunday morning. And then the rest of the week is up to us to figure it out, fail, uh, apologize and get it right. You know, and we really miss out that, you know, in my perspective, God is everywhere that everything is spiritual. There's this sense. There's a, a divided world and, um, you know, Catholics, and I don't know how Judaism is, but Catholics believe that you need to, you need a, a priest to be the intercessor to speak to God. Mm-hmm. And we believe that, you know, God gave himself for all people to experience intimately and uh, relevantly right now, here and now in their midst through Jesus. And so um, through every human and every blade of grass and the oxygen we breathe, God is there in everything. And I think we miss it all the time, you know, and, and um, people call it different things when they do experience God too, right? They don't, they don't say, oh, that was a God moment. They say that was a coincidence that I ran into this friend that I uh, had been meaning to call for weeks and he just happened to be crying when I ran into him on the street, right? right. That's a God moment that God brought the two of you together to serve your friend and comfort them. But it's also just a coincidence if you look at it that way. Right, right. And we're, we're, all, we're all just asses missing what God is doing. <laughs> I'll tell you what you reminded me of. There's an amazing story um, where there was a, a, a person that came to the synagogue every day and was praying every day, um, uh, but he wasn't a knowledgeable person. And the rabbi came to him. And said, and sort of maybe he overheard him praying. I'm not sure exactly how he got to it, but he realized that the person was his prayer was just saying the alphabet. He would just go through the letters. And the rabbi realized this and said, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how you pray. And he taught him everything that you're supposed to do when you pray. He taught him how to say all the different prayers. Um, and he felt, you know, the rabbi felt very proud that he had done this. Um, and not that long after God speaks to the rabbi and says, what have you done? You've ruined it. I haven't heard from this gentleman for months now. He doesn't pray anymore because of all that you did. You need to go back and tell him to say the alphabet. And that's what he did. And what's amazing is that you're exactly right. I think many people, I, I, I think that's one of the things I love about Judaism, as well as I'm sure you love about your tradition, is that no, there's no intermediary here right? There's things that we need to learn. There's things that we need to do. And there are certain rules and this and that, but 
it's just me and, and God, you know what I mean? There isn't anybody who needs to do it for me. There was, um, I, have you ever, I've, I personally have had experiences in my life where, um, where at first, like when I first started my, my sort of process into prayer, a lot of the, the prayer that I was doing was like little things that I saw, like you said, like things I saw around the neighborhood. Um, you know, if I saw a beautiful sunset, I would sort of say some little prayer, even just that I made up almost like the alphabet, like a, just something that I made up myself and, and thanked God for being able to see that being witness to it, witness to his creation. But I wasn't doing this long form prayer that I now do um, three times a day. Um, and I felt like there was something very natural and sort of whole about that too. It's like, now I look back on it and I go, oh, I can't believe I only did that. But at the same time, it, it was also a very innocent, beautiful way to connect to God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, is God, people think is God in everything or is God in only what they decide? And really, when you look at it that way, it's very elitist to say that I have the decision or the say or the biblical wisdom and you don't mm -hmm. to tell where God is and not. Right. It's really, uh, you know, putting yourself in God's place to make the decision where God is. He's not asking for your permission to get places. God's going to go and be there and be everywhere. And it also I mean, if you're transcend beyond the monotheistic uh Western religions to, to Buddhism, you know, essentially there is only oneness and the oneness is the definition of God that we're all just interconnected and um, our, our tiny monkey brains see things as very distinct and different uh, when really, you know, I am no different than uh, the fabric in my car or you or the trees and uh, I walk by and touch, you know, everything is just different materials, but all the same God and expressions of his being, you know, and I think we've got, we've gotten far, far away from God being created and creating God's self into everything to think at oh, all God's just in people or in places that people create. And, but every day of Genesis one, God created something and said, it is good. This is right. where I am, you know, mm -hmm. birds, water, air, uh, cosmos, uh, sun, moon, all that stuff. God says it is good. And God, you know, did himself into it. You know, I struggle with that because um, I think that there's a de developmental process, sort of like what I was talking about a second ago about when to pray, how to pray, and you know, how that changes over time. But, you know, I, I always struggle with when my children come home from school and they say, and they even correct each other and say, no, God is in everything. And I had a teacher once who said, who said you know what, um, you teach a child that God is in everything, then they're going to be scared to go to the bathroom. And I'm wondering if there's a time in our lives that like, yeah, now as an adult, I can deal with the idea of the oneness of God being in everything, God being part of everything. And I don't get to choose. And sometimes people say things like, you know, you, God is where you let God in. And I think that that's a weird way of looking at the relationship with God. But, but I think maybe there's a time to say to children, like, let's not worry about God being in every single thing at every single moment. You know what I mean? That's not really where you are right now. It's okay to see God in a very compartmentalized way. And then when you sort of develop as a, as a religious being, then there's a time to say, ah, now I see that God is in all of us, all the things around me. Yeah. One of the stories that I use in my book about this 
is when I was uh, I was dating a girl and we started dating shortly before Christmas and I, I cared about her, but I was like, I don't know if this is going to last. So mm. I don't want to spend a ton of money on a gift, but I don't want to get nothing. Um, and so I was like, oh, that, that I noticed she had a coat, but no scarf. And in Rhode Island, you know, it gets blustery and, and snowy. So I wanted to buy her a scarf, but I started to, in my head, determine exactly what that scarf would look like. You know, I started to have a vision in my brain of something that didn't exist. So then I went to a bunch of stores and no store had the exact scarf that I wanted to have for her. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, so I started thinking, well, if other people knit scarves, I bet I could knit a scarf. <laughs> so I went and I, I learned how to knit from this uh, knitters group at church and bought the fat, bought the material and knit together the scarf that I thought was great. I thought it was beautiful. And, um, uh, it took me a lot, it took me many, many hours. I mean, it was almost, it was almost easier to just settle and buy a $40 scarf that I didn't, I didn't have envisioned in my head, but I wanted to see this come to life. Right. Right. And so, um, I gave her the scarf. Um, she wore it that, that first night. And then I had, didn't see it for a while. The next time, a couple months later, maybe we were going out. I was like, Oh, why don't you wear your scarf? And she says, Oh, it's nice, but it's just not me. Mm. And I was devastated, right? I sure. was hurt. And when I zoomed back, when I zoomed out years later uh, on how hurt I was, um, I felt like part of, like, I wondered, like, why is part of me hurt? Because she didn't like an object, right? She didn't say, you're a jerk. I hate you. You know, it was just as much as saying, going to a restaurant saying, oh, I don't like this lobster, right? It has nothing to do with me. Right. And yet I, I felt it. I was hurt. I was, I was torn apart. And I just wondered, in all that time of creating that scarf, did I knit a portion of my self into that scarf? Hmm. And so if we consider God creating all of the world, you know, um, God had the foresight and the vision, the idea of all these things, and then went on to create these things. And God, if, I, you, know, if you read the whole Bible, God didn't just remove himself at that point and say, good luck, everybody. God continued to be involved in the ongoing revelation of the world, you know, through the Old Testament and Moses and David and Aaron and the prophets uh, and then through Jesus and the spirit and the disciples, right? God continues to be involved in what God created. God shows a great deal of care in all these things. And you got to wonder if we missed uh, all the investment of God's love and livelihood that God has in all of the world um, beyond, you know, people. But we have this very human-centric mind that thinks we're the only and best thing and um, we're the only place that really deserves a note in, you know, in our culture. In the Bible, you know, it constantly talks about how God's in nature and all that, but uh, not not much in our preaching or prayers and all that kind of stuff. I'll tell you, that's a very, I really like that analogy. I have never heard that one. I, it just, it works for Appreciate me. Let's put it that way. By, by the book. Yeah, no, it's good. It was good. Listen, I'll tell you, um, this is not the same kind of, and it's not going to be as motivating, but I'm going to still have to tell it because I love the story. So when you said that you made this gift for her, which I think is so awesome, 
Um, I was reminded of the time that my wife and I were first, I think we were dating and um, it came up to the point that Hanukkah came. I didn't know exactly what to get her. So I was like, and I knew that she was also, uh, you know, be somewhat, she liked to get the thing that she liked exactly what you said. So I preempted the problem and made her like a little gift certificate that said, you know, good for, now this is the part where it gets really good. I said, it was, I was going to get her sunglasses, but I was like, no, I can't get her sunglasses. Cause I know if I choose them, then she's going to say, ah, it hurts in the ears back here. She's got to try them out. But for some reason at the moment of writing the certificate, I wrote good for half off on sunglasses. And she, she still hasn't let me live that one down. <laughs> she's like, oh you couldn't splurge for the whole sunglasses. You only wanted to get me half. And I was like, look, you know, you don't want your gift certificate. You don't have to have it. And it was a coupon. Yeah great gift i did that when i was six years old too <laughs> but i was just about 30 plus that years old yeah, right. like oh it was good it was good one of my classic so do you have you ever have you ever you know thinking about where god is and and my story have you like what are the things that you've really poured yourself into and worked hard on that you felt like you know you were personally invested like your emotions your um, your livelihood, you had a desire for that thing to, you know, have a life and thrive and be, be received. Well, was there anything like that, that you've had? I, I got to tell you, if there's one thing that comes to mind that I think of that I've poured more than anything else into, and it's going to be like, that's kind of an easy answer. It's, it's definitely my family. You know what I mean? Like there is definitely, um, and I don't just mean, you know, my children, which is definitely obvious, but like, I was, I was talking to somebody, I actually had this, I wanted to tell you about this, this uh, past Shabbat, I, I had um, somebody invited us, my father-in-law and my sister-in-law and myself, other people as well, but we came to this meeting to meet um, the first Bishop of Israel. Um, he's an, he's a black uh, evangelical who was, you know, ordained the, the first Bishop of Israel. He's unfortunately had a very rough time being here because the bureaucracy in Israel is horrible, even to the first Bishop of Israel. But, um, when he what, was there what, not, of a Christian, Christian denomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's what, evangelical. What? Okay. And he, um, and so it was a very, look, it was, a, I met up with the person who hosted him, uh, a couple of days after. And what he said was really nice. He said, you know, I noticed that when you were sitting there next to your father-in-law, he said, I really noticed this wonderful rapport that the two of you had together. And it was really nice. He said, it was, I correct about that. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, I, I, one of the things that I feel most blessed about in my life, and I have put a lot of energy into is my greater family. And thank God the, the returns have been wonderful. You know, I have a great relationship with not only my parents and my sisters, but also with my in-laws and all my, you know, and all, all of the siblings. And, and it's just, what a blessing to see that that has, you know, and I, I'm, you know, I wish I don't, I don't know if I have a story where I, I sort of poured something in and didn't get it back, but I definitely feel like I'm getting it back in this instance. Yeah. And that's a great example. And, and what I train my congregation on is we need to be more um, perceptive and name those places, identify the places where we see something beautiful or something that you've, other people have invested their time, their energy, their love, their passion into and say, oh, there's God, right? Like your relationship with your father. He, he, he might've just been saying, I like how you two, I like the, I like the rapport, 
but it sounded like what he was saying more so was I recognize your investment and the godliness of this relationship that's more beautiful than you know just a father-in-law and a son-in-law um you know or to talk about someone's work in a way where you identify just how much they care about it the guy put who put the baseboards on my house uh, a couple of weeks ago I was like I can really see that you take great pride in the attention to detail and how you're sanding that down and, you know, vacuuming it off and wiping it off and then taking another look at it rather than just saying, ah, it's just work and money. I'm done. I said, that's really great. You know, that's how I see, uh, I see that's a great value in your life. It was pointing out the, you know, the godliness and the goodness in his life in a way that wasn't creepy or like conversionary. You know what I mean? It's just like, God is everywhere. And the more that we show people where God is, the more uh, openness they'll have to a relationship with God through whatever, you know, religion or whatever means they see that to be fit. I mean, it was no like, accident that it was a carpenter, right? I mean, that was, in, that was intentional, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Should have brought up, brought up, brought up the, uh, the greatest Jewish carpenter ever. Well, now uh, you're talking. Listen, anyway, I have a question. I I, oh, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. I just think that's the way, that's the way, the kind of the postmodern way to help people uh, join in faith is to really point out God in their lives rather than to make them come to a church first where we right. say, well, God is here. Come here. You'll experience all this stuff. It's like, no, God's in your life. Here's where God's in your life. Here's where God's in your life. Here's your God's. Where... And then when they say, well, tell me more, then you go, well, let's talk Bible or let's go to church or let's meet with our small group. Right. Right. But it's, it's been such a forced slam down your throat, like do it or you're going to go to hell culture that people are so offended and put off. And we make people assume that we have the stronghold and elite understanding of this is the, I've got the only place where you can, you know, go to heaven and receive eternal life and hear about God. So you got to go through this Avenue versus the Avenue is everywhere. Right. Um, and church, churches just happen to talk about it primarily. Do you ever have a moment where you feel like, um, you know, God is further away or like that you do, you weren't able to see God in the world as you looked around? Yeah. Where I just can't recognize like what God's doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a lot of chaos and suffering, mass destruction, um, intense amounts of evil will, will always kind of bring that about. Um, I mean, that's the, the, ver the pastoral role is to speak out um, on behalf of the, it's in our job description, speak mm. out on behalf of the oppressed. And so oftentimes, like when there is something that is universally accepted or widely talked about in the news in a certain way, um, we can celebrate it, but we also need to be considerate of okay, where, who, who's, who's on the margin of this that might be hurt by this, this thing or this movement? And how do we just at least acknowledge and lift them up and name them so that they're not feeling an absence of God, right? So um, we're kind of looking, okay, where, where are people feeling on the wrong side of this and helping them see, well, through Jesus, that's where God showed he, that, that, that the oppressed, the weak, the hurting, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the refugee are the ones who God actually did a ton of effort through Jesus to go to intentionally. And so the popular opinion, the mass majority could be experiencing what God's doing sometimes, but not at the expense of others. You know, so how do we consider 
those who are on the other side and, you know, share and give and, and um, celebrate them as well. Uh, so that, yeah, that's one place where I've always got to consider it. I, I never, I think it's always my, my brain that just can't, when I can't see it, it's my brain that can't see it. And my prayer is God help me see it and be a part of it, even mm -hmm. if it means, you know, humbling myself in some way. I think it also gets wrapped up in, I personally, in the experiences that I've had when I couldn't see, it's definitely not only brain, but it's also emotions. You know, when things are, when I'm sort of going through something that's very difficult, you know, we're, we're meant to say Baruch Hashem, which means blessed is God, no matter what happens, right? Even if something horrible happens, we say blessed is God, right? That's what we're supposed to say. Cause God, you know, there's good and there's bad. And God is sort of responsible in some way for both. Um, but there was a time when I was studying in rabbinical school in New York, that my, um, my father was in a really bad car accident. Um, a drunk driver got on the wrong way, uh, actually like went on an exit ramp onto the highway and was going the wrong way down the highway. And my father was coming up to the easy pass, um, thing. And he went the wrong, he like literally went through the, the toll booth the wrong way and slammed into you know, head on to, into my father. Thank God he's healthy and doing well now. Um, uh, but I can remember, um, when my mother called me early that morning and said, you know, he's in the hospital in Trenton, you got to come. And I, and I got on the train in New York and I headed to Trenton and I was praying, you know, my normal morning prayers, um, in the morning. And I, and I hit this one verse in, in, um, in some, I think it's one, Psalm 145 that said, um, you know, God sort of takes down those who are evil and lifts up those who are, who are good. I'm paraphrasing at this point. Um, and when I, when I hit that spot, I kind of slammed my hand on the back of the seat in front of me. So thank God I didn't bother anybody in the seat ahead of me, but, but I, I really was very frustrated because I, the, when I think of somebody who's should be lifted up and who is a good person, my father is definitely one of the people on that list. And thank, you know, thankfully he came through. I mean, not everybody has a good ending to stories like that. But um, I can understand why people, and, and I think that's probably one of the hardest times to sort of show people where God is in all of that and how to sort of navigate those moments where it, it can become harder to see what God wants from you and what, where God is in that moment.
Did I lose you? Oh, you're back. Did you lose that? Did you miss that whole story? I don't know which story I missed, but do you, I don't know if you missed my story. <laughs> which oh, one man. were you? Which okay. one? I, I heard your story um, about your father, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit this out. Okay, then I'm going to tell my story and then I got to roll. Okay. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Your father, that was good. Oh, and I said, I, and I said, okay, here we go. And pick up here, Ralph. So I think what your I think your story really hits on a good point of most people think either God creates all things and created that axe car accident and that suffering and God creates COVID and earthquakes and devastation and evil, or uh, God is absent from like God just does certain things at certain times. And God didn't have the time to be with your dad or someone dying from COVID, right? Right. When really there's another, there's a third way to look at it where for some reason God has all this power, but chooses to allow natural order in the world and free will to happen. And that brings out a lot of bad intentions and awful shit and natural disasters. And so maybe God isn't orchestrating or doing those things, but God's allowing a world of freedom that, you know, benefits sometimes, but hurts sometimes, and then isn't absent from suffering and pain when it happens. But maybe that's why Jesus died on the cross for God to show us that God is with us most intimately in suffering, in pain, um, in being beaten and bloody and dying in all the worst moments of our life. God showed he was there in Jesus. So, you know, it's like, you could ask, why did God do this to my dad? Or where did God go away when my dad was hurting? Or you can say, God, thanks for being with me in this moment and showing me there's your presence is, is, is most needed where it's most needed in my hurt. Um, you are closest to me through Jesus is kind of how, how at least I see it is that there's a God that we, we often, it's a harder way to see it, right? We often want to see, I don't want to suffer at all. Um, or I want God to create my life in a way that's easy and pain-free, but really God's like, nope, I'm just going to be with you in the misery and in the celebration. Mm. And you may not understand it. It's not, and I, I mean, it's, again, it's, it doesn't make sense for us. Cause if we had all that power, I would, I would, I would be like a friggin' superhero. I'd mm -hmm. kick all the, all the bad guys asses. And like I would Bruce never, Almighty. Like Bruce Lee. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, it, you know, I think, I, and that's the hard part of where, you know, seeing God everywhere, people hear that and think, well, if God was at 9-11, why did it happen? Well, you're seeing God as the creator of that, the orchestrator of that, rather than the one who cries with us and grieves with us and knows it sucks that this, you know, that, that this is an idea somebody had and followed through on. Hmm. Um, and that's just more where I, where I see God in, in everywhere than... It might be kind of trite, but there was a time where I was very inspired when I first heard the saying of like, you know, when you, you can always pray. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes the answer is no, right? It's the same right. idea. God is still there. It just, it's not that God can make everything perfect for you. Well, and that's, I mean, for me, that's the, the genie in a bottle God who just answers questions. But um, right. a, a better way to do it, is, to, to say it is uh, when, you when you pray, something always happens. It may not be what you want. Nice. But it may be, you know, it may be peace. It may be a reduced heart rate. It may be an understanding or a clarity, or God may give you some words and ideas 
that you didn't have before, but may not, you know, if you have a specific question, it's not like God's not a magic eight ball or a genie, you know, and I don't, I think that's, that's the other challenge. Anyway, this was good. Yeah, it's definitely good as always. All right, man.